saving money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards, we have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hello, I'm Virginia Heffernan, and welcome to This is Critical, the show where we question all of our cultural assumptions, like that red tape is a product of governments. When every time I hit huge bureaucratic snares, you know, the kind that consume hours of your life, it's the private sector that's to blame. Yesterday, for example, it took me 170 minutes, yep, I timed it, to unsubscribe from a service called Trend Micro, and I still don't know what it does. And last week, I went to Ireland, and to get back to the U.S., I needed to show a negative COVID test. Now, you'd think that was a government-mandated headache, but no. The migraine came entirely from a dozen tech companies the government had contracted with to make apps where people watch you on some new patented FaceTime as you shove Q-tips up your nose and swirl them around to catch the snot, as we all do. And all this has to happen on a smartphone as you lean it against a book so whoever it is can literally see up your nose while you use both hands. And it took 87 tries to get it right and cost endless fees. Give me a freaking W-2 or a 1099 any day. So if you want a ton of regulation in your life, it's time to look to corporations, startups, and the private sector. But today we're not just complaining about corporations. We're talking with Gloria Oladipo about real ways of holding corporations accountable. Gloria is a breaking news reporter on staff at The Guardian. Recently, she covered the historic vote to establish the first U.S. Amazon union at a warehouse on Staten Island. She's also a bona fide member of Gen Z, basically a journalism prodigy. And I'm so excited to hear her fresh perspective on the labor movement. But first, the backstory on Amazon. After it has seemed for years that the rapacious Sauron life destroyer Amazon would never even negotiate with workers, Chris Smalls, a fired warehouse worker at Amazon, won the vote to unionize at this warehouse on Staten Island. He and his co-organizer, Derek Palmer, had about $120,000 that they'd raised on GoFundMe. But Amazon spent $4.3 million trying and failing to beat them. Sometimes David really does hit Goliath right between the eyes. So at a time when people like New York City delivery drivers and workers at the Apple store in Atlanta are trying to organize, this Amazon labor union, ALU, marks a huge victory 
the biggest one yet in what looks to be a snowballing new labor movement. This is coming in large part for big tech companies. Young adults are defying decades of demoralization among workers who really thought there was no alternative to corporate fraud, mistreatment, underpay, and abuse. These new organizers are putting workers in the driver's seat. Only last year, Amazon crushed a unionization effort at an Alabama facility in what was then the biggest labor drive in the company's history. So really, the new union we're talking about today and the triumph of Chris Smalls and Derek Palmer at Amazon has given courage and hope to workers across the country. Gloria is going to shed light on all of this in an unusually optimistic episode of This is Critical, and I think you're going to love it. Gloria, welcome to This is Critical. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I What I really love about your work on labor is that lately anyway, it's got some good news in it. Yes, yes. All right, let's dive right in to Amazon's first union. Can you give us an overview of the situation there? You know, so this Amazon situation is quite historical, I think is the word that's been being used a lot. Essentially, a group of organizers, most of them who either work at Amazon or worked at Amazon, um, were able to form this union, and they won by a pretty large margin, over 500 votes. And I think, especially in light of a lot of organizing that's happening across the country that we've been seeing since the pandemic and beyond, it's just like, like a really great reminder of the ways in which like grassroots organizing is able to help the little guys, so to speak, hold these larger companies accountable. Yeah, it's astounding. And I feel like it's something that my generation that was focused on market solutions to everything and thought the labor movement was just was extinct, um, mm. is just beholding in awe mm-hmm. to watch some of this. My, my sort of stepson is also an organizer and managed to, as they say, flip a movie production um, and make it union. So t- tell me about the, these specific organizers. The one in particular I'm thinking of is is Chris Smalls. Smalls was a uh, was a rapper, and he was fired from Amazon. And then he did this thing no one's a, managed to do before him in the U.S. He organized a group of Amazon warehouse workers. Yeah, so the two, you know, and, they, and I know it is a coalitional effort, but the two names that came up in the reporting I did on this was, you know, Chris Smalls and Derek Palmer. Yeah. Palmer still works at Amazon, but Chris Smalls, you know, worked at Amazon um, in a managerial position, and, you know, there was a lot, Amazon has a lot of problems, especially for warehouse workers. Mm-hmm. But the pandemic, I think, sort of shed light on a lot of difficulties that were facing employees. So things like, you know, not having protective equipment, especially as COVID was ongoing and all these other problems. So um, Smalls let a walkout mm-hmm. that led to Amazon firing him. Amazon claimed that, you know, he broke quarantine but Smalls is like, this was a clear retaliation. And, you know, his firing not only caught the attention of a lot of figures, including Senator Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. and Attorney General Latita James, mm-hmm. but also he credits as being the motivation for why he wanted to sort of really work on unionizing Amazon. So, Gloria, how did um, Chris Smalls and, and Derek Palmer, how did their personal histories as Amazon employees influence their ability to kind of lead their coworkers, because that seems like what's key for a union organizer, right? It's like, 
it's key that you're able to persuade and create solidarity with people who are about to take an enormous risk in their jobs. This must require a fair amount of simple charisma and logic. So how do these guys do it? Yeah, I know. I think that just adds to what makes this win for Smalls and Palmer and all the other people that worked on this so satisfying, you know, compared to bringing out outside professionals that would sort of, I guess, so to speak, lead the organizing effort. They really adapted a much more grassroots mode. Mm. Um, Both of them had a very deep understanding, not only of of Amazon as a company, but Mm. also the different social dynamics in the Amazon warehouse building. Like what were some of those? Well, so Small said that while working at Amazon, you know, a lot of the different people that work there kind of section off into different social groups naturally, you know, and sometimes it's by demographics, like racial demographics, sometimes it's just by like who hangs up with who. Mm-hmm. So Smalls and Palmer, and Palmer had been working there, I think, for like five years or more. They both had an understanding of these different like social groups. So they were able to kind of go to the head of these like different social groups and be like, hey, do you know about the union effort we're trying to do? Like, can you tell your other friends about it and just really kind of effectively use their understanding of how these warehouse workers socialize to Hmm. tap into the unionizing effort. You know, Smalls also said that Amazon and their anti-union efforts really focused heavily on Spanish-speaking individuals um, and would publicize a lot of their anti-union materials in Spanish, Hmm. but like neglected other demographics in the warehouse, a lot of people of like Black and African descent. So Smalls and Palmer were able to sort of not neglect the Spanish-speaking population at all, but also kind of take in this other demographic that Amazon was ignoring. Hmm. And they also just, they just knew about, you know, how workers got to and from Amazon. I think Hmm. one of the clearest images that I heard Small say while talking about this was that their sort of headquarters was at the bus stop that a lot of workers would use Mm. to come to and from work. So they were just able to really, knowing the company in and out, they were able to sort of like meet workers where they're at at all these different points, offer food, and just really explain to them like why a union would be in their benefit and like combat, I think, a lot of the anti-union rhetoric that Amazon was trying to spread within the warehouse, but then also spreading online and like via news publications and things like that. I mean, this is amazing. We we had Sarah Jaffe on the show not long ago. Oh, great. Yeah, wrote a book called Work Won't Love You Back. And it's hard now to remember, but the promise of businesses 10 years ago, big businesses like Amazon, was that they would be your family. They'd take care of you. You'd love it. They'd give you perks. Maybe you'd get a gift certificate or whatever it was to make you feel like you got some goodies and you were somehow, quote, loved. And they'd do team building activities that make you commit not to each other, but to Amazon. So you'd Mm -hmm. be like wearing the swag and all that stuff. And what I think um, Smalls and Palmer realized is that the same thing Sarah Jaffe did, which is like, Amazon's not taking care of anyone. This isn't your family, you know? But it is hard. And as someone who came up with that worldview, that your allegiance was to your employer or the brand, not to each other, old habits die hard. Mm -hmm. And Amazon had a huge propaganda machine. And the world was on the side of what you want to do is go work for one of these big companies that has a nap room or whatever. And these guys had to swim upstream and say, no, it's it, we're here for each other, you know, mm-hmm. and we're going to collectively bargain to get 
like the real perk, which is working less and making more money. All right. And I think warehouse workers have really used, you know, social media and leveraged mm. a lot of these different avenues to discuss that the conditions that they are facing are like vastly different from maybe the way that Amazon or really any, I think a lot of these different e-commerce companies advertise. Like it's not nap rooms and like free yoga sessions and like cocktails with after workers, but you know, a lot of these like unsafe backbreaking conditions um, that really spur this later desire to like unionize and get one's basic rights. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it was really fascinating. So what were some of the complaints before the union formed? What were some of the complaints that employees had um, about working conditions at the warehouse? Yeah. So I think, you know, there was this very specific kind of COVID complaint that bubbled up that Smalls brought attention to. Just the fact that like workers weren't getting what they needed to stay safe and healthy in their job. There wasn't a clear publication from Amazon about vaccine availability, things like that. But even before that, there's a really high injury rate. You know, Amazon provides shoppers with a lot of opportunities to get their goods quickly. Mm -hmm. And the cost of being able to get something like one, two day shipping is someone else having to do a lot of arduous tasks. So there was really high rates of injury in Amazon warehouses. And a lot of workers complained about the idea that, you know, instead of having one large break, Amazon split their breaks into two 15 minute breaks. So, which meant that they didn't really have a lot of time to actually experience the break because mm. leaving the warehouse itself took the time of the break. Wow. And, you know, Smalls discussed in, um, while talking with us that Amazon management, so to speak, was very condescending to workers. Um, and instead of addressing these real complaints, would then like do things like offering cupcakes or candy when people, you know, when people want real mm-hmm. change. Um, and not to mention, you know, the bigger things like also include poor pay benefits, issues like that, that I think really came to a head when you think about the toll that COVID-19 takes on everyone, especially people Mm -hmm. who are working in such close proximity to someone else and doing very physically demanding work. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is, even when it's one day shipping. We'll be back with a labor movement history for our time after the break. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley. For the love of home.
Welcome back to This is Critical. Today I'm talking to The Guardian's Gloria Oladipo about labor organizing. So for listeners who don't really remember the labor movement, the real full-swing labor movement of 100 years ago, uh, or a little less, what does it mean to go union? So usually the process of going union is either sort of two ways. It's usually like you out organizers would come in and sort of try and meet with like a labor force or company or employees and act as almost like a mediator between them and management. So you have like an outside force come in and try and, and get the vote and establish this union. But then, you know, it's not as grassroots intensive. So then with Smalls instead, I think the key difference was this idea of like it actually being people who like worked at the company mm-hmm. and weren't, you know, paid organizers, weren't from, from some of these like very large, we think of as like America's like larger United organizations like AFL-CIO. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so like that that kind of distinction coming in. One of the sort of truisms or canards that I grew up with was that unions weren't really possible like we used to dream of them because it was white guys who were all pretty much from the same background. And it was this blue collar thing where they would all shop together and raise their children together. And, you know, they were vaguely religious and they had the conservative values sort of at heart. And and these are the people that in the story of the rise of the right wing in the U.S., the people that were kind of felt disenfranchised after their unions dissolved and they felt their jobs threatened by immigrants, so on. All this stuff that the the workplace was now too diverse, polyglot, as you say, with lots of Spanish speakers, and there wouldn't be a way. They were, we would be too divided, too committed to identity positions and affinity groups that, that, that they could ever find common ground with each other. Um, and that, by contrast, the big corporation would do something that has been derided as, quote, woke capital and pretend to be conscious of certain social justice causes to distract from the fact that the founding idea of social justice, um, the labor movement, was being overlooked. How in the world did these guys get past that giant stumbling block? Yeah, I think, you know, I think that they had a lot of sort of really just smart, thought-out tactics because part of it was that lie Amazon tried to sell, but it couldn't even really sell that well because you're sitting there talking about, like, not like you, right, but, like, Amazon management are holding these, like, you know, mandatory meetings that are basically, like, anti-union meetings and sitting and talking about the idea of you're going to get worse benefits if there is a union in place, et cetera, but, you know, you're saying all that while the founder, you know, Jeff Bezos is like making so much money, like expanding his wealth by billions and at one point went into space. So it is kind of it does become this almost bizarre attempt to try and sell this, like, you know, like you're going to be in a worse condition if you all get together and fight for your benefits and rights. Um, but I think they also use a lot of strategies, though, to sort of poke holes in a lot of the lies that Amazon was trying to sell. So for example, like Amazon said a lot of kind of blatantly racist things, specifically about Smalls um, as a way to sort of what Smalls credited as a way to kind of be divisive and stoke racial divides among among this warehouse. But they had other tactics up their sleeves, Smalls and other organizers, as a way to sort of beat back against what Amazon was claiming. So for example, like 
They would create signs that would publicize the union busters that were in the warehouse floor. Hmm. And another thing they did, they would publicize the salaries that they were making, you know, and some of these people were making like $3,200 a day. So to publicize Hmm. that in addition to the names and also just showing that they they weren't even actually from New York City um, and just kind of demonstrating that like not only are these people making more money than you, but they also don't really know the, they don't know your way of life. They don't know what it means for you to wake up and have to commute into Staten Island every day Mm -hmm. via public transit, which is already like tough enough. So they were able to kind of like really call attention to these ways in which, you know, on one hand you have Amazon saying like a union will destroy your rights and benefits. On the other hand though, they were able to really illustrate that like not only is Amazon making a lot of money, but Amazon is making a lot of money and paying people a lot of money to make sure that to make sure that you do not make money mm. and really kind of illustrating the ways in which is a very kind of coordinated attempt to prevent workers from seeing a rise in wages and gaining other benefits via unionization. Okay, so when Chris Smalls was fired by Amazon after he protested unsafe COVID conditions. Bernie Sanders, right, criticized the company on Twitter, and that's something we might have expected. Also in New York, the AG, uh, Letitia James, expressed solidarity with Smalls. But has that support continued? And what about AOC or some of the other progressive politicians in New York? Have they also been instrumental in the union effort? Compared to, like, unionizing efforts in Alabama, they have we were really focused less so much on, mm-hmm. like, trying to get endorsements mm-hmm. from some of these larger figures and more so just trying to like keep the attention and gain the trust and respectability of people who were going to vote and people who like worked at Amazon. Yeah, I think it, I think it also part of it was that like, it wasn't so much an attempt to gain endorsements from these larger figures in a way that I think other unionizing attempts at Amazon were trying to do, yeah. but more so was about working within the organization and with, like, other Amazon employees. Yeah, that is amazing. Um, I I don't want to keep emphasizing my age here. For some reason, I keep needing to do that. <laughs> but, you know, it is... Uh, Looking at the at the at the demise of unions, I mean, you just graduated what last year from Cornell, so like you're you're oh, really yeah. Um, yeah you're you're getting started out there. But um, and you were born after the union started to go into into decline. But just for listeners, in mm-hmm. 1983, 20 percent of workers um, in the U.S. were in unions, and that you know when Gloria graduated from college last year, that was 103 <laughs> percent um, of workers in unions. So. How did you come to all this kind of hope around labor? I, you know, I think part of it is I would just talk about, I guess, I don't think everyone's sort of thoughts are always like around like, you know, Gen Z seems so pro labor rights and, yeah. you know, et cetera. Yeah, you know, I, I think that a lot of it, um, and this is just like personal interaction with peers, is that social media does kind of help us. I think as a generation, like understand, you know, I guess one, understand the different, like see the different ways in which injustice exists across, you know, in different industries outside of our own. Yeah. And also too, I think it just is like a very helpful way to kind of gain awareness about a lot of things and spread the message quickly. Um, And you've kind of seen this a lot with different efforts, like through the Starbucks unionizing efforts Mm -hmm. that are taking place and 
I don't really know what our what our special sauce is, but I think part of it is just kind of an understanding of like things need to change. And I would also say that like, you know, we didn't just get here on our own. I mean, for me, at least I have very clear memories and pictures of people who helped develop an understanding of labor rights and what we all as humans and people who have things to offer in the workplace deserve. And I think that goes for a lot of people who also have gotten involved in this as well. Understanding that things need to change is one thing, but actually changing them means dismantling a lot of old interconnected systems at once. We'll hear Gloria's thoughts on all the kind of social moving parts and more when we return from the break. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's next level supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. Welcome back to This is Critical. Today, reporter Gloria Oladipo is walking us through labor movements and structural change. So on my last podcast, Trumpcast, I remember speaking to a significant figure in Black Lives Matter. And he explained to me that while all participants in Black Lives Matter object to patriarchy and white supremacy, activists in that movement are somewhat split on their response to capitalism. Um, the way he explained it, some in the movement want to try for the kind of institutional goals like the gay rights movement does with its kind of focus on marriage and the military and possibly career advancement. But another group in Black Lives Matter are focused on kind of more radical goals, namely unionization, a coherent labor movement, and they're aligning against rapacious market capitalism alongside patriarchy and white supremacy. Does does this add up for you? The way I the way I see it, I really feel that like, you know, a full support of black lives, especially ones that center, you know, marginalized within black lives, yeah. is going to involve a stance against the exploitation of capitalism, which is inherent, right? Yep. And also just the idea that like if for black people today, there is a sort of a very large wealth disparity that is evident. So I really do think that I'm not I'm not sure about the exact point he made in regards to whether or not the official movement views capitalism. Mm -hmm. But I definitely think that just from a political sense, calling out and holding accountable those who hoard wealth, you know, needs to be in service alongside, you know, calling out racial disparity. I kind of find those things to be tied together. And I think attempts to separate them do a disservice to black people. 
yeah, it's just, it's so complex to um to start pulling out the threads, but I think you're right to it it simplifies it a bit to think that wealth hoarding is going to go with patriarchy and white supremacy. There is no wealth hoarding without those two things, too, right? All right. The hoarding of wealth, especially like, you know, patriarchy and supremacy, those were all used as a means of doing so. Mm. And especially just and thinking back also to things like, you know, slavery as well, you know, so, and just the legacy and that the continued legacy that's had on Black wealth and the ability to create it. Uh, but I, yeah, I really do think that, you know, there's not, for me, there's not really like a way to separate these different structures. I think that a support of Black Lives Matter would also include a calling out and a, a desire to dismantle capitalism as well. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's so interesting to me. Like, what I just want to say over and over is just how much bringing fresh eyes like your own or AOC's or um, Chris Small's to the fix we got ourselves into with income inequality. I mean, just the the from the Reagan era to today, you know, how so many of us let ourselves become so disempowered in this kind of corporate worship or worship of the private sector and kind of fear of government and hero worship of people like Bezos. Um, I love the idea that the organizers at Amazon serve as both whistleblowers and active reformers. And it seems like a new possible role for journalists like yourself, not doing like hagiographies of capitalists with their move fast and break things, but instead telling the story of these solidarity movements that don't maybe come with a hair and makeup team. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think a part of it is, you know, the power of lived experience and the ability of being able to, like, use one's lived experience as a means of holding systems accountable. I think Smalls definitely, and Palmer and, like, other people who collaborated on this really were able to leverage their lived experience as Amazon employees to make a really critical difference and step towards not only securing this union vote, but then also, you know, there's one in a week from now as well and being able to, like, work to hopefully get another win on that one as well. Yeah. I mean, I it's yes. I'm so glad to have a show with some good news. Um, and Gloria, you're the perfect messenger for it. I hope you'll come back. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Gloria, for being here. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week's episode of This is Critical. You gotta follow Gloria, who keeps writing this great stuff at The Guardian. She is on Twitter at G-A-O-L-A-D-I-P-O. That's at G-A-O-L-A-D-I-P-O. And make sure you don't miss next week's episode by following us or subscribing on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you like to listen. And if you like the show, and I know you do, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people learn about the show. For more information and to keep tabs on us, follow me on Twitter at page 88 and at this critical pod, presuming that Elon Musk does not ban us. If you have a question or a cultural creed you think deserves another look, send us an email at thisiscriticalpod at gmail.com. This is Critical is made by me, Virginia Heffernan, and Stitcher. Corinne Wallace and Michelle O'Brien are the producers. Tracy Samuelson is our editor. 
Brendan Burns mixed this episode and composed our original theme. And Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Thanks for listening and stay critical. Stitcher. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's next level supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV and more. Get no cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. Zero dollar copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply.